Hello, and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as Blue Oyster Cult of Personality. It's a cultural quiz show and so much more. I am Tony, and I am joined today by Austin and Hannah. Hello, Austin and Hannah. Hello, Tony. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Austin, also, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am, if not more so happy to be here than Austin. Yeah, it's sort of a chore for me at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to bring in some new blood every once in a while to keep Austin interested. Otherwise, he'd just, he'd, he'd just sort of stare off into the distance while I ask him questions about culture. Well, I am honored that my AB blood type has been considered <laughs> universal. I am actually, I am a universal blood donor. So if anyone listening needs blood, you can... Reach out to Tony or Austin via their email <laughs> or this podcast. I do not want a personal request, but I'm happy yeah. to offer up my blood. We'll filter out the request. Just tweet at us at so call me Ishmael. We'll run it by Hannah to see if she wants to donate to you. <laughs> and you should know you should know that if she says no, it's because she doesn't want to, not because her blood chemistry <laughs> forbids it. And if you need blood today while this is being recorded, find find a hospital because <laughs> This is two weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah, tell us about yourself. So I I know that you have done some improvised comedy, I believe, for, for Second City and IO. Am I right about that? Yeah, I have. I've done for a little bit with Second City on a sketch team at IO called Uncle Garbage. I was on a house team a little for a little bit at IO called Biscuit until that got the cut. So I don't know how good I am. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I like to do comedy. My real aspirations are, I wish I was a rock climber, but Mm I lack the personal discipline. So I just haven't picked it up yet. Mm. Do you have a day job? I do. Oh, I do have a day job. I am a sales operations manager for a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. So, you know, like to crunch the numbers. I like to look at data and make executive decisions. So you're not the person who goes to doctors' offices and and bribes them with crisp hundred dollar bills to buy your drugs. <laughs> I used to do that until I got promoted. So started there. Started in that business. Everybody then, sweeps. Everybody bribes. <laughs> yeah, and then I realized that I just didn't want to sell my soul that way. I'm fine selling my blood because it's universal, but right. my soul felt like too heavy a burden. Is your soul also uh, universally acceptable to, to other souls? Well, I mean, okay. Well, now that you bring it up, like I am a Christian mystic is how I identify, which <laughs> is yes. basically that's pretty much what I'm saying. If anyone's familiar with Father Richard Rohr, John Bell recently entered the scene for those comedy lovers, Pete Holmes. I think they speak a lot of good stuff. Um, so, yeah, basically, I do think that my soul's like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, my goodness. That is, that is, I'm, I'm sure that is a rich belief that we could talk about forever. Um, but but P. Holmes is on next week, so we, have to that. <laughs> we need to have something oh, to talk about. make it him. weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure we would have a lot to talk about. Austin, do you know your blood type? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know my blood type either, which I, I feel like I, I probably should. Oh, wow. But I don't plan so on I don't plan on giving blood. Do I need to know it to receive? 
yes, you definitely need to know it to receive because okay. you need to know if your blood type is compatible with the donor blood type. Yep. But if Hannah gives me blood, I don't need to. Right. Is that what I'm hearing? I don't need to. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Yes. Oh, I'm fine. We're good. We're good. Actually, oh my gosh, I do not want to be the know-it-all on this podcast. Listen, you work in the medical industry. If ever there, if ever there were a there time to be a know-it-all, there's one blood type that does reject all other blood types. So oh my while I may be a universal donor, there are some unfortunate people, and I'm not saying that you fall into this category, Austin, but. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me if you maybe did because you're so special and unique yourself. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'll I'll do the research on that uh, and come back to you both, hopefully with some answers. So that, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I, you've now intrigued me, Hannah. So that blood type only accepts blood from the same type of blood, like it doesn't accept okay. any other types. All right, you're. Not going to want to quote me on this, but I'm going to say something very confidently that's going to make you think that it's correct. So I'm just okay. putting that prerequisite in there. You, you're, you're welcome. That's sort of the ethos of this podcast. So. <laughs> so there is one blood type that rejects all other blood types. And so the, what they have to do is when they get really sick is they have to put IVs in their arm and stay really, really hydrated and get a lot of oxygen so that their body can regenerate through water and oxygen. Incredible. Yeah. Sort of the Brad Womack of <laughs> Bachelor fans out there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I didn't get that reference, Austin, but I, I uh, it sounds hilarious. I know I didn't either, but I laughed really hard like oh, I did. You guys, are such good, you guys are such good encouragement laughers, Hannah. I'm sure you've honed that. You've both it's honed that like in your, uh, your improv. I did learn Definitely. that in my IO training. Absolutely. I just, I, I feel like when people make a specific name reference, it feels very esoteric. And if I don't know it, I feel very self-conscious. So I'm very comfortable with the like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that type of Man, that is, that is dangerous. Because <laughs> Tony and I could say nothing funny. Uh, and just think this is the one we should send off to all the podcast networks because of, of how much Hannah's laughing at. How extremely well-received it is. Brad um, Womack was sort of a heel, if you guys are familiar with the term heel. Very. Of Bachelor Nation, uh, mm -hmm. when he did not give anyone a rose and, and ended the show without choosing <gasps> a woman to propose to. Oh. So, Whoa. So it was a pretty good joke. Um, yeah. And I, you know. It was a pretty good joke. Well, any members of Bachelor Nation that are also members of Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael Nation will... I'm sure they're rolling on the floor right now. Not to be I'm confused sure with the Nation of Ishmael. <laughs> I'm seeing the Venn diagram right now of where these two are intersecting, and that middle section is yeah. just overly yeah. populated. Giddy. Yeah. I actually have a transition into the, the topic of today's podcast. Would you Would you like to hear it? Yeah, the best transitions are forecasted. <laughs> yeah, I'm the number one of filmmaking and everything. <laughs> there are cultures in the world. I think it is. I think it's largely East Asia. Like I think, I think it's like Japan and and Korea that t tend to believe this. That believe that your blood type determines your personality type. And the topic we're talking about today is personality type, and we were just talking about blood types. 
Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good transition, Tony. I'll give you some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're saying we've covered everything and we can just call it early? <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I thought that was, uh, if I, you sort of want to end on a high point, right? So you just might as well end on that perfect transition. We're going to be talking about personality and personality types and whatnot. We're going to start by talking about putting fictional characters into their Enneagram type. And in much the same way that I don't know my blood type, I don't know my Enneagram type. And in much the same way that I don't know much about blood types, I don't know much about Enneagram types. So, Hannah, can you give us, like, a rundown of the nine Enneagram types just quickly so that we can get a feel for them? Oh, yeah, sure. So Enneagram in and of itself, it's a personality tool that is broken out into nine different personality types or styles. And they fall within three different triads or three different thinking centers. So the first center that you have is your heart center. And in that you have your twos, threes, and fours. Your twos are people that are motivated by the want to be loved and for appreciation. Your threes are going to be people that want to be they're the achievers, so they want to be loved for what they've accomplished. They are very aware of their status. Fours are wanting to be unique, wanting to be an individual, wanting to create something in the space that there is not anything in existence. And then you transition into you have your thinking triad, which are your fives, sixes, and sevens. Your fives are going to be afraid of not having enough or being without. So they have very strong boundaries around them. They're very aware of what they have to give, particularly emotionally to other people. And they find that people can be very draining. They rely on what they observe and what they know. So they acquire knowledge. Sixes are going to be uh, most, I'm trying to think of how I can say something positive versus like always starting on a negative with these things, but they're motivated <laughs> by. Our rival is a six. So. <laughs> My arch rival is a six. They're the worst one on the type. No, I'm kidding. They, what they're most motivated by is for security. Mm. So they find that either through relationships, through power structures, they're very aware of power dynamics. They oftentimes are able to pick up their worst case scenario thinkers. So they are able to problem solve really, really well. As sevens you fall into, they are wired to avoid pain and to be stimulated at all times. And then you transition into your head triad, or not your head triad, your gut triad or your instinctual triad, with which are your eights, nines, and ones. And your eights are going to be most motivated by not wanting to show vulnerability and being very aware of injustices in the world and wanting to make them right. They're very, people will call them the challenger. They're very okay with conflict in order to bring about change and to mm. not be out of control. And then nines, your nines are to be okay, to keep the peace, to mediate. They're very aware. They can tell what someone else's perspective is and what mm. they need to do to bring about peace. And mm. then ones, um, your last one in your gut triad, your ones are they see the world through a lens of rights and wrongs 
and they're most motivated to be the best version of themselves and to motivate others to be the best versions of themselves by living life with very clear laid out rules. So that's in a nutshell. I hope that, that was a great nice. summary. I have a question about I don't know if this is a question for you or a question for the people who invented the Enneagram, but do the people who invented the Enneagram know that numbers typically start at one and then go up? Well, that's actually a really good question because we actually don't know origin. Oh, <laughs> see, here I was thinking that I was being a snide asshole. We can trace the Enneagram back 4,000 years. We believe it came out of Mesopotamia, oh my out God. of different spiritual leaders. It's, so there's a lot of different rhetoric around where it really stems from. You have Giro Hofstede, who is, um, came up with the fourth way, which is our biggest way to track it. But essentially, the reason they came up with numbers was they wanted to assign something that didn't have an intrinsic value. So when we say things like, oh, the three's the achiever, now all of a sudden, I'm thinking, well, I'm an achiever, so I'm a three. So they came up with that numbers system in an avoidance of people over-identifying but unfortunately, I, they don't think we've lived up to that nowadays. But honestly, if we could find the person that really did invent it, I would love to go back and ask them why they didn't, just didn't start with one. Yeah, if we could meet Steve Enneagram. <laughs> Do you think that the guy who did invent the nine types invented a another type in secret that kind of ruled over <laughs> ruled over the nine? I think that oh, that's think very possible. I also think, though, we're going into this with the assumption that it was a guy that invented the Enneagram. Oh. But, you know, if Ariana Grande has taught me anything, <laughs> if there's one thing she has taught me, you know, God's a woman. Yeah, so, it's true. And she has seven rings. She took all the rings from the dwarves. All the rings from the dwarves. Sort of a power move. True. Yeah. It, could have been, it could have been Betsy. Betsy Enneagram who invented the Enneagram. It didn't have to be Steve Enneagram. Yeah. Thank you for calling that into question. I don't know any Mesopotamian Babylonian names, really, except for, like, Hammurabi. Uh, I don't know if I could come up with a female Babylonian name, but we'll see. It's interesting that you that you bring up Lord of the Rings, Austin, because... Nerd. <laughs> because I found an article that was that categorized a bunch of fictional characters by their Enneagram type, and Sauron is one of the characters that they, they categorize. <laughs> and I kind of feel like I don't I don't think it's a compliment to be in the same category as Sauron. Yeah, but I gotta know what it was. I gotta know what the number was. Hannah, do you have any guesses as to what category Sauron would be put into? Let's like pretend that I was like feeling like, hmm, I'm not sure I remember this character super well. If you had to describe <laughs> Sauron in just three adjectives, uh, what would those be? Um, he is the big bad guy, and his goal okay, is that's to, it. to... That's to, two adjectives. Okay, big oh, yeah, bad. Okay, okay. And, big bad um, guy. Big bad guy. He, he, wants to, he wants to rule over others. I feel like they're going to make him an eight you're so right because they're like oh he's big and he's bad and everyone's like oh if you're big and you're bad you're an eight mm. ah but you from the tone of your voice i suspect that you think that that is a a fascial oversimplified approach to this that's ex you took the words right out of my mouth that is literally how i felt 
But I know I don't want to ruin the game, so let's just I'm gonna be very supportive of this and go, yeah, we got we're one for one, Austin. We get this one right. <laughs> Do you think Chewy uh, would be happy or sad to learn that he's the same type as Sauron? <laughs> I think he would be pretty happy. Yeah, I think so, too. He'd probably think that was pretty badass. What is a fictional character you would definitely put in an eight? Oh, that is a good follow-up question. A fictional character I would definitely put as an eight. Um, Selena Meyer from Veep. Ooh, mm. that's strong. The other examples they include... Magneto from the X-Men. That one makes a little more sense to me. Because he definitely yeah. is... He is challenging, and it's not in, in just in a bad way. Because I think you're right. Um, I think... I mean, I don't know that much about the Enneagram, but people sort of use 8 as a catch-all for people who are difficult. Yeah. Um, but you can be confrontational, challenging in a good way, and he mm -hmm. believes that he is doing it in a good way. Yeah, I think that's... Tony? Yeah, I agree. Thanks. Thanks. That was good. <laughs> Can you diagnose the people on this podcast? What's I don't is diagnose the right word? Can you diagnose the people on this podcast with their enneagram type? Yeah, at the end. That's okay. the game I'm playing. At the end of this, I will mm. bestow upon you <laughs> what good. I believe your type to be. Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, where would you put Hermione Granger? I would probably. Put her as a one. Oh, yeah, I'm I, with you there. Yeah, you you agree with BookRiot.com about <laughs> the placement of Hermione Granger? Well done. Yes, BookRiot.com calls ones highly principled individuals who yeah. value ethics above all else. Very strong sense of right and wrong. I think that's true of both Hermione Granger and Emma Watson. Yeah, advocates for positive change in their communities. Yeah. I really can't tell where one starts and the other begins. <laughs> I mean, I guess the magic is a dead giveaway, but... Right. Emma Watson does have a mag like magical quality to her. That's so true. Yeah. Um, this, uh, this list also includes Hannibal Lecter. Uh, Ooh. And, again... I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know if I would want to be categorized in the same category as Hannibal Lecter. But where would you put Hannibal Lecter? Ooh, very manipulative. True. But also brilliant. Lover of the arts. Hmm. I'm so I'm just literally going off of what Austin is saying. But based on that, I'm like, okay, maybe he was a four. I'm thinking a four or a five. Oh. Um. I well, might say five. Austin. Well, he, maybe one's a wing. Maybe he's a four with a five wing or a five with a four wing. Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to explain wings now. <laughs> wing uh, is the adjacent. Wings was a show from the late 80s. <laughs> um, no. Go ahead, Hannah. Sorry. Oh, that was actually a much better response. <laughs> wings are, it's now, it's, yeah, it's just they're the adjacent number to your type that in influences your personality type so you're infused by somebody adjacent yeah bookriot.com puts him at a five although you know what we can say he's a, a five wing four or a four wing five okay oh my god my fiance is a five i'm now very fearful <laughs> that i might be marrying a hannibal lecter personality type Ooh. i mean i don't th it's 
I, it's not necessarily an insult, but it's definitely not a compliment. No, it is a compliment because Hannibal, more than anyone else, is a critical thinker and able to read people very well. He's an Epicurean. I think those things are all complimentary. Sure. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, he's got a lot of good jokes. Anne of Green Gables. Anne Shirley. You familiar with Anne of Green Gables? Oh, my gosh. Love. Of course. What would you categorize her as? Um, dealing, so she's done with a lot of rejection. She's a very high spirited individual. So I'm going to be looking for someone in more of an assertive stance. Mm, she's a high dreamer. I mean, probably a seven. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have a guess? Hmm. I think she was really hurt when, no, hmm. Was it that, who start, who stopped speaking to, to the other? In Anne of Green Gables, when they accidentally get drunk on the raspberry uh, cordial. Oh, cordial. Oh my gosh. Her, no, uh, her friend. A... Uh, uh, it starts with Diana? a D. Diana. Yes. Diana. Well, her but... Diana's mom says that Anne Shirley can never come around again. Oh, heartbreak. Okay, so it was the mom. I'm gonna say a six for for Anne. Mm. I think above all, she wants to be loved. She wants to have real friendships. And she holds grudges uh, against people uh, who have hurt her oh. friends, like Gilbert Fry. And can I change my answer? Austin, you really helped me think through this so well. Oh, thank you. Can I say a four? Oh, you totally can say a four. And if you do say a four, you will agree with bookriot.com. Oh. Yes. I walked, I walked so Hannah could run. Yeah, the four, the four is called the individualist. And I feel like Anne Shirley is the consummate individualist. Mm. Yeah, she is. She's definitely always dream. She's melodramatic and just she lives in her books and her stories. And she wants excitement and adventure. But she really just wants Gilbert. She just wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. But she still wants to be so unique because it's Anne with an E. Right. Anne with mm. an E. That's what I'm saying. That's That's what makes me... Ugh. And she's a really fiery personality, which if you get into subtypes, oh my goodness, sexual four on the subtypes is actually just as aggressive as the eight. I would have thought it would have been half as aggressive. <laughs> Austin's bringing a, a, a touch of numerology into our Enneagram conversation. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I love... I love Anne, and I I love her individualism. Oh wow! Okay, so okay. tell me more about that. <laughs> tell me more about this deep love. It felt like it was coming from a very sincere place. It, this most of it comes from just having reading Anne of Green Gables as a family when I was a kid, and so it has very very strong. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Nostalgia. nostalgia. That's the word I'm looking for here. Anne of Green Gables is a very strong nostalgia factor for me. Hannah's three for four on this guessing game, and two were characters she said she didn't know anything about. <laughs> yeah. So I need okay. to I need a chance to redeem myself here. Yeah, this sends you <laughs> Let me let me toss you one, Austin. This website did categorize Odysseus of the Odyssey fame. Mm. Would you like to take a guess as to where they put Odysseus? I'm going to put Odysseus, ooh, I'm teetering between 
a seven and a three. Seven because he, he went off in search of adventure, consistently making his way to the next challenge to be overcome. Three because he sought glory for his his nation and his home. I'm going to say three, though. <laughs> Austin, you're incredible. See, Austin, you don't even need me here. <laughs> I need you here. I actually have a really fun fact that very few people know about the Enneagram. Oh, my goodness. And it you need to tell us. Yes, really well. Oh, my goodness. So, guys, have you ever heard of it's by It's this book. It's this crazy book. It's called The Odyssey. It's by this guy named Homer. <laughs> And it has the main character in it is Odysseus. We, he, oh my goodness, we were just talking about that, Anna. Okay, hold on <laughs> to your seats because the Enneagram actually every single one of the types mirrors one of the passions of each type in the exact same order. So when he goes on his trip and he has all of these obstacles and barriers and he learns the lessons, every single lesson that he learns or barrier correlates with a two three four five six all the way around in the exact same order as the enneagram you get the hell out of here i am not even fucking with you right you, now that is true you simply have to be fucking with me there's no way that something that interesting could possibly be true i know it just gives the enneagram a lot more credibility <laughs> it's in our show tony pulled odysseus out of his ass out of his odysseus <laughs> And and Hannah just. Do you have an example off the top of your head of of, of a challenge that corresponds to an enneagram type? Because I'm interested. I I don't remember all the challenges off the top of my head. Okay, well, which type? <laughs> Do you have them all in your head? Because I just I just thought you could bring up any of them. But how about the the nine, the peacemaker? What's that challenge? I wish I had it off the top of my head. I have my book right here in front of me, actually, because I was using it to prop up my computer along with the Mueller report, which was a Christmas gift. <laughs> you're such a you're such a well-read person. <laughs> so I did it's very well-read. Um, so the nine correlates with the lotus eaters. Their passion or their sin is sloth. And so that was what the Lotus Eaters represented. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting fact about the Enneagram, and I will I will file that away under best facts that I know about ancient literature. I also wanted so that was that was taking fictional characters and putting them into real world personality types. I now want to put real people into fictional personality types. Specifically, specifically, I want to talk about celebrities and the Harry Potter houses into which they fall. Since Hannah gave us the rundown on the Enneagram, Austin, do you want to give us the the rundown on the Harry Potter houses? Yes. Um, let me just go read Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> Rifle through it. Um, uh, okay, so Gryffindor is Harry's house, Hermione's house, Ron's house, Ginny's so house. So true. Neville's house? No. So, so true. Yes, also Neville's house. You know the off off the off the top the, the traits are courage, uh, bravery, but also impetuousness, uh, maybe a lack of forethought before rushing into danger, maybe some arrogance. If we're kind of doing both sides of the coin. Yeah, I like that you're doing the 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 enneagram style strengths and weaknesses setup. Like I want to give strengths and weaknesses. Right? I want a, a healthy Gryffindor and an unhealthy Gryffindor. <laughs> 
Slytherin would sort of be on the opposite end of the color wheel mm. um, if this was a color wheel. Although, where are green and red on the color wheel? Yeah, I think green and red are opposites on the color wheel. Okay, well, there you go. Slytherin calculating can be a bit more manipulative, but also very shrewd, very rational. That sort of leads into Ravenclaw, also shrewd and intellectual, but more intellectual for its own sake rather than for some pursuit of power or prestige like Slytherin. Bookish is what I think when I think Ravenclaw. And then Hufflepuff, sort of gregarious, warm, not necessarily known for being the brightest, but well-known for being loyal and friendly, easygoing. Yeah, that's sort of my own from Great. my from memory palace. Great rundown, Austin. Oh, that's really helpful. Ravenclaw and Slytherin, I have a hard time differentiating in some ways. So, Tony, if you have any nuance to yeah, add. Yeah, I, I, I think your, your typical Slytherin is going to be, they're sort of defined by their ambition, so a perhaps a healthy Slytherin would be ambitious and, and seek to do well in whatever they do. Maybe an unhealthy Slytherin would be uh, ambitious for ambition's sake. And, for Machiavellian. And, and, yeah, they might be might turn to, to dark ways to achieve power. Whereas, yeah, a Ravenclaw tends to be more interested in learning and knowledge and, and, and as you say, intellectual pursuits. And I know what you're all wondering, which is, has Dwayne the Rock Johnson ever told us what house he's in? And the answer is an absolute definitive yes. <laughs> Do you have any guesses as to where Dwayne the Rock Johnson would put himself? She's going to put himself in uh, Gryffindor because it's a strong name and he's really strong. <laughs> Griffins like, are very strong G, animals. Like the the sound you make when you have to say a G word is a very like guttural, like more masculine sounding. Like if someone says Gary or Ooh. Garth or Grayson, I that is just to me like oh yeah. And that's what, that's my my sisters Gladys and Gertrude are going to be very offended by what you've just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being a masculine woman. It's true. It's very true. Yeah, so, I think that uh, self, self-placing self is tough. Tough with the Enneagram, too, right, Hannah? Wouldn't you say that the most accurate reads are sort of from the people in your, your inner circle rather than yourself? Yeah, I think that that definitely helps. Yeah, and I did, I should clarify, I did as much as possible try to limit these to people who have, according to some source or another, actually taken the uh, Harry Potter sorting hat quiz on Pottermore.com, which by all mm. accounts is the most official mechanism by which a person can be sorted into a house. Great. I'm uh, glad you've done your due diligence on that. <laughs> You should see it was the article I found was hilarious because there's like there's like dozens of pictures of celebrities sort of sheepishly holding up laptop computers with Pottermore.com <laughs> open and then their house on the screen. It's very uh, it was a very funny thing to find. It's like funny and pretty intimate to like see inside <laughs> their house. It's very intimate. Yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson claims that he is a Hufflepuff. Um, oh, I was I was thinking about saying Hufflepuff. 
I at, should have. At one point, he tweeted, Huff Puffs in the house. Whoa. So, that was his sort of, that was his sort of public coming out. Yeah. Well. We got that one sorted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, zero for one on that one. Where do you think J.K. Rowling put herself? Oh, uh, she put all the protagonists in Gryffindor, but she's got to be a nerd. So I might say Ravenclaw. I am going to say she put herself in Slytherin because when she wrote her next books or something, didn't she use another person's name? Like, she's just pretty sneaky. Oh, I'm not true. sure I she trust did, her. She did use a nom de plume. Yeah. Although I think that... I don't actually know the motivation behind that. Yeah, I think she was doing it so that she wouldn't just get published for her name, which probably right. isn't very Slytherin. That's very, yeah, it's very unSlytherin to me. It seems like she puts herself in Gryffindor. Mm. You know, uh, Austin, when you when you said she put all the heroes in Gryffindor, I think it, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, but but she seems like sort of a humble person. I, I would think that maybe she wanted to aspire to be in Gryffindor, mm. but. Yeah. Maybe saw herself as more of a Ravenclaw, but what the hell do I know? Austin, I think not all bravery is braggadocious. I think you can be a humble, brave person. That's true. That's true. I think a healthy Gryffindor, maybe a, a, a Gryffindor wing Hufflepuff, is going to be a, a humbler, down-to-earth Gryffindor. And I think that's probably what J.K. Rowling considers herself. We talked mm. about Ariana Grande earlier. Where do you think she is? This, this according to her Twitter. Hmm. You like my hair. She thinks. Just, Just bought it. it. I hmm. want it. I got it. That sounds like ambition to me. But she's also brave. She's not afraid to speak her mind. I want to say Slytherin on this one. And I think she'd be proud of it. Yeah. I think... The hair says it all, and I'm going to have to go with Slytherin on this one. <laughs> she did. According to Twitter, she is a Slytherin. Yes! Wow. So very well it's done. It's there! Oh. Teamwork. I've heard of a lot of different mechanisms by which a person has been categorized into personality groups. I don't know if I've ever heard a person's hair do that. Oh. You're blind to a lot of things going on <laughs> in this country, Tony. <laughs> And I would suggest you educate yourself. So true. Yeah, Ariana Grande, she is ambitious, and I think she's, I think she's a, a good, healthy example of, a, of an ambitious person. She, she works hard. She gets it done. She's confident in herself. I think it's great. Stephen Colbert directly texted J.K. Rowling to ask what house he would be in. <laughs> What did she say? And did she respond? She did respond. Do you, do you have any guesses as to what he would be? Ooh. Okay. I mean, he is a he's a good boy. I mean, Stephen Colbert is just one of those good ones, you know. He's stayed married. He lives out his principles. I'm American, so can you. <laughs> he's proud of his country. I would go with. Ravenclaw on this one. Hannah, you should get a job categorizing people into their personality groups because you are absolutely killing it. 
I'm pretty sure it's just like that's like what a therapist is. <laughs> yeah, you should, you, should be, you should be a therapist for fictional characters and celebrities. Yeah. Do you think before BuzzFeed was a website, it was just a newsletter where someone like Hannah would, would come up with these things and <laughs> mail out celebrity personality types? Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, Hannah, you could either be a therapist for fictional characters and celebrities or a writer for BuzzFeed. Uh, yeah, J.K. Rowling said that Stephen Colbert would be a Ravenclaw, which I totally get. He's kind of got that sort of nerdy, bookish side to him. Yeah. Sure. And, I mean, he has a thick head of hair. <laughs> he does. Which, what's more Ravenclaw the, than that? The number one <laughs> indicator. That's why the sorting hat was a hat. It doesn't need to look into your brain. <laughs> this is really coming together. You guys are writing my next BuzzFeed article for me. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's famous people in their their Harry Potter houses. Wow, we've been efficient today, Tony. You just nailed it. Yeah. No rabbit trails. <laughs> I mean, a few rabbit trails. Yeah, but all serving, all serving the purpose of yeah. <laughs> the very important work that we're doing. Right. Uh, the next category of trivia I wanted to do was I wanted to read off the personality traits of different ensembles, and I wanted you to see if you could if you could guess the ensemble that I'm that I'm describing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start with one that I don't know that much about, but is one that people use as a reference point for personalities all the time. So let me, there's, there's four characters. Character number one is a bit irresponsible, klutzy, but also funny, insightful, accepting, and positive. Character number two, traditional, honest, bright, and polite, overachiever, perfectionist. Character number three, fiery, ambitious, direct, cynical, angry, yet caring. And then character number four, honest, tough, and loyal. Okay. I got hung up on the first one, and all I could think of was Velma from Scooby-Doo. And then I felt <laughs> like I was forcing the next three to be like Daphne, Fred, and Shaggy. But then that leaves out Scooby, but then he's a dog, so... He's a dog, but he does have a personality. But he does, and he can talk, so I know that that's not the right answer, but that is all that my mind could conjure up. In, in discussions of dog personalities, you'll often see dogs referred to as food-motivated, um, <laughs> which, which is a nice way of saying that they will do literally anything for a snack. If I were to describe Scooby's personality, I would use the phrase food-motivated. Tony, rattle those off quickly. I will. Once more. Character number one, irresponsible, klutzy, funny, sexy, insightful, accepting, positive. Character two, traditional, honest, bright, polite, overachiever. Character number three, fiery, ambitious, cynical, direct, angry, yet caring and loving. Character number four, honest, tough, and loyal. Oof. I'm, I'm having a hard time, too. Um... Let me... So there is a BuzzFeed quiz to determine which of these characters you are. The first question in the quiz is, 
you met a new guy. How do you introduce him to your friends? The options oh, are sex in the city. Yes. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I've never seen answers. it again. Oh, another show I was not allowed to watch. Okay. Well, I haven't watched sex in the city. Have you watched sex in the city, Austin? Never have. Okay. Hey, well, I'm loving it. Right. And you I'm still loving it. <laughs> I'm very impressed. Very impressed, Hannah. Yes. Character number one there was Carrie. Character number two was Charlotte. Character number three was Miranda. And character number four was Samantha. I don't know anything about these characters, but I do know that people often categorize themselves by which character on Sex and the City they are. Yes. So I figured it would be a good one to start with. Um, All right. Everyone categorize yourself as a Sex and the City character. No context. Go. (laughs) Tony. I would say that I am, just based off of the descriptions I gave now, I would say that I am uh, maybe a Charlotte. Right. I'm yeah. like such a Carrie. Oh my God, I'm such a Carrie. <laughs> just like an, it's like the way that I am, the way that I be, the way that I were, just it's Carrie. He's such it's a Carrie. Carrie. Yeah. Such Carrie. Yeah, when Austin, when Austin asked if, if, if Hannah could be on the podcast, I was like, oh, actually, do you mean Carrie? That's what I said. He, he said, well, we need a carry. And I, I rifled through my Rolodex and thought, who are my carries out there? And who are you? I'm a, I'm a Miranda. Oh, I so, oh, I totally see that. Oh, my gosh. It? Nothing's ever felt more right. I see that about you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. What's weird about this is I have a compulsion to drink wine right now. I just feel like this mm. conversation needs wine. Yeah, let's take this, uh, let's take this out to the balcony and... <laughs> Do they do balconies in that show? Oh, yeah, they do. But they, like, only drink, like, Carlo Rossi wine from, like, mm. a big glass jug. Because they're like, but we're poor. We live in this city. <laughs> Except for, like, one of them's really rich and is like, I'm really rich, but I'm not sharing my money with you guys. So you guys all drink Carl- Carlo Rossi. And I'm going to drink, like, Josh. Uh, for <laughs> someone who claims to have never seen this show, Hannah, you sure do have a lot of opinions about it. Josh. Yeah. <laughs> I understood that that reference. By the way, the possible answers to that question, the question being, you, you met a new guy, how do you introduce him to your friends? The options are, this is Mike, my boyfriend. Second option, this is my friend Mike. Mike, meet the girls. Third option, you don't introduce new guys to your friends. Fourth options, ladies, this is Mike. He's a doctor. <laughs> I, I mean, where's the all of the above, honestly? <laughs> Mike, this is the girls. Ladies, this is Mike. He's a doctor. We're leaving now. <laughs> We're leaving I because I don't introduce one. I don't introduce new guys to my friends. I would definitely pick the last one. I would definitely say, ladies, this is Mike. He's a doctor. Mm, what's that say about Tony? Storing that in my Rolodex for later. <laughs> Yeah, so those were those were Sex and the City characters. <clears throat> here's here's another group of, uh, or excuse me, this is a group of five. Character number one, easily excitable, prone to emotional outburst, often confused. Character number two, narcissistic, superficial, selfish, abrasive. Character three, deeply insecure, craves the approval of those around him. Character number four claims to be li- compassionate, liberal, compassionate, and smart. In reality, is selfish, greedy, and prejudiced. Character number five describes himself as feral and fringe class. <laughs> I think this has got this has got to be always sunny, right? Yeah, very well done. <laughs> oh, well done. Yes, very well done. 
Yeah, when you read those, <laughs> when you when you hear those character descriptions, it really does sound horrible. Well, uh, often confused. <laughs> That's so sad. Poor Charlie. Is that Charlie or Frank? That was Charlie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Charlie. Frank uh, is uh, yes. Frank is the one who described himself as feral in French class. As I was looking that up, by the way, I discovered that there is a Russian version of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Any guesses as to what it's called? <laughs> it's Always Winter uh, in uh, Soviet Russia. <laughs> it's, it's just called It's Always Sunny in Moscow. <laughs> Although I should confess that the cited source for that was entirely in Russian. And given that I do not have the ability to read Russian, I, I cannot verify whether or not that is a true fact. Mm. All right, fact checkers, tweet at us. We need our we need our army. If we have any Russian speakers in the in the group, we do have a few Russian listeners. They could be bots, but we've had a few downloads. Oh wow, you track all of that? You have all of our data? Oh, oh we've got it all. We've got You're it on. all. Well, every download we get to choose. Every download either comes with a headshot or a social security number. Mm. So, oh. We usually go for headshot. We usually, yeah, to be honest, I don't want to scare people. We usually go with headshot. Here's another crew. Character one. Excellent leadership skills. Confident. Character number two. Bit of an ego, but he always knows the best choice to make. Respectful and brave. Character three. Bit of a tomboy. Maintains a tough guy image. Powerful. Unflappable, strong-willed, fiery, and fearless. Character number four, extremely intelligent. A kid at heart, imagination sometimes get the best of her. Character number five, kind-hearted, philosophical, sweet-souled giant. Character number six, shy, meek, but he has great leadership abilities when in the face of danger. Oh my gosh, I just, I feel like this is land before time, like... These are all the different land before time characters because they're always in danger and they need a lot of leadership. True. And they're figuring it out along the way. And and little little ducky always always comes through in a pinch. Uh Sarah was pretty brazen, you know. Sarah's pretty brazen. She was like tomboy ish, but like deep down just like really wanting to like be accepted and loved. You know, it is possible. I mean, given that I have given sort of abstract descriptions of, of personalities, it is possible that we could fit in, you know, Littlefoot could be the character number one, you know, Petrie would be, I don't know which one Petrie would be, but you are in the right sort of realm in that I, it, this is an animated, this is an animated show. Oh, um, Tom Bush. And there are six of them, you're saying? There are six of them. There is a, there is also a BuzzFeed quiz to figure out which character you are. Okay, all right, here's the first question. Are you okay with that, Austin? Uh, yes. Okay. What was one of your favorite classes? None of them? Woodshop? Gym? Recess. Yes. Recess. Oh, well done, Hannah. Very good. Very good. Woodshop, gym, science, art, math. Yeah, well done. Yeah, those were those that was recess. That was TJ Detweiler, Vince. Spinelli, Gretchen, Mikey, and Gus. That was ensemble personalities. The last category I wanted to talk about is fictional psychologists. Um, (laughs) We're talking about personality types. You know, talking psychologists. I thought I thought it fit in. One thing, 
One thing I found out as I was doing the, the research for this is that there are three different Batman villains that are psychologists, which seems like it has to be meaningful. Yeah. I mean, like, and yeah, rule of three. At that <laughs> point, it's basically a pattern. Right. And I, I mean, I, I myself am no psychologist, but if I were to interpret that, I would think maybe the fact that his enemies are psychologists might say something about him. And the fact that the main prison is a mental institution. It's not right. a normal Gotham jail. It's an asylum. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my, my two thoughts about that. I had two thoughts about that. My one thought was maybe this is symbolism about sort of the madness of Batman. My other thought is maybe Batman is funded by Scientology, and Scientology is really opposed to... Uh, psychology and, and therapy and whatnot. So those were my two thoughts. I actually support both of those. I, I think that's possible. Can you name the three Batman villains that are, are psychologists? Killian Murphy. Um, Scarecrow? <laughs> and what did Austin, what did you say? I said Killian Murphy, who played the Scarecrow, because I couldn't remember <laughs> the villain's actual name in the movie. Oh, in that so, case, that was good teamwork then. Because yeah, you each you came up. because I didn't I would never know the actor's name, but I was like What unbelievable teamwork by you guys. That's so great. If there are just two of us, what's the equivalent of bump set spike for two people? <laughs> Do we know? Well, beach we beach volleyball one? is two on two, so you can you can bump set spike with two people. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Other psychiatrists. Um there is one that you guys really should get because she's been in a couple movies recently. Oh, Harley Quinn? Harley Quinn, yes. Oh, Harley Quinn. Yes. She, oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I, she, no, she, well, she and Scarecrow both, I worry about their professional credentials being revoked because of possible ethics violations. Mm, absolutely. I, I think that they, they're probably not probably not the most professional yeah, out of compliance yeah the third one is a character from batman beyond named spellbinder i'd be very surprised if you got that yeah yeah that's sort of yeah a deep cut but i mean batman he had a lot of villains so at this point it's kind of a numbers game like if you just keep making <laughs> more and more enemies eventually they're gonna like just all be you're going to have three psychologists. At right. What they don't tell you is that there were there were six bus drivers. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know. Yeah, true. So no matter what theme we had picked for this episode, I have I would have stumbled across three relevant villains. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably true. Um, here's, I, <laughs> I found a psychologist character. I'm going to give her description, Wikipedia description, which is graduate student in psychology Emphasis in nightmare disorders. <laughs> so, uh, what do you, what fictional universe do you think she's from? Nightmare disorders. Yes. Uh, nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. This is a character who who appears in in the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and then in later iterations, she goes on to to study psychology with an emphasis on nightmare disorders, which <laughs> is the perfect. I mean, it seems like. You know, it seems like she's well suited. And then I have I have two psychologists on the list here who are able to uh, read minds, which I think would be a very good ability to have 
and a, a, a psychologist. A, thinking of uh, Professor X? You are thinking of Professor X, and he knew that you were thinking that because he could read your mind. Is it King Triton from The Little Mermaid? Can he read minds? He knew Ariel was going to leave him. That's why he was always reprimanding her. It just felt very <laughs> <see>. premeditated. <laughs> and you don't think that's because of his knowledge as a father about his daughter. You think that's because he has the ability to read minds? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think that makes a little bit more sense than just being like, oh, he's her father. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who could possibly be so intuitive to know such a thing? Not my dad. <laughs> the second one is a, uh, I think if you were lost in the great vastness of space, in a spaceship with, with just the crew for a while, I think you'd probably get, probably have some psychological issues that need, need talking through. Hmm. Uh, Counselor Troy? Yes. Deanna Troy. I'm sure you will both know this, but as a half-human, half-betazoid, she has psionic abilities and the ability to sense emotions. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which you gotta think is a useful ability in that field. She couldn't read my mind as a as a as young a... boy. I was in the military <laughs> and I never I never got a note, I never got a call. <laughs> uh yes, Deanna Troy from Star Trek the Next Generation. So that's fictional psychologists. Which wraps up our categories of trivia. And, and now Hannah like has to guess to cap it all off. Well, whatever whatever you say, I just want us all to have a really good time and to continue being friends, no matter no matter what kind of divisions this might <laughs> I bring up. I I'm preoccupied with sort of the dynamic and, and maintaining the status quo, and yeah, I'm I'm ready for your decision. Yeah. I don't know if I can add this, Tony, but when you're editing this, you should definitely put that whole montage to vitamin C, vitamin C song. Like, <laughs> as we go on, we remember. That was playing in my head while I to Austin talk. So if we have those capabilities. We should make that happen. Yeah. Um, all right. That being said, I adhere to the ideology that no one person can tell someone their type. But what I do do with people when I'm working them through Enneagram is I like to give them my insights, my thoughts, and then give them a couple types and tell them to explore on their own. Interesting. Well, that's all we can ask from you. That's all we can ask from you is your insights. That being said, I'm going to say based off of the energy that i was getting from tony i get an energy of that of someone that would be more in the assertive stance Mm. and i don't get that in a challenging way so i would take eight out and then that would leave me with a seven and a three i would say those would be the two numbers that i look at exploring for you based on this very limited conversation that we had and just going off of potentially a stance that you might fall in. But then for Austin, I would say you're the energy that I got from you in this conversation was much more of a even keeled, but you don't give me 
a four vibe at all. So I would lean towards probably potentially a nine, maybe mm. a five. Mm. Nine to five. <laughs> uh, okay, so what do you guys think I am? Oh my goodness. Um. Well, first off, I subscribe to the ideology that I can tell anyone whatever I think and they have to they have to kind of live the rest of their life uh, under that number. Yeah. And so Wait, I know said, this ideology. Oh, I'm familiar with this ideology. I think it's called being a man. Oh got him. Got him. Oh. <laughs> yep. She got me. Well, I am I am all ears. Oh boy. Um, you have been very insightful today and I think that insight is a is a big 5 thing. But a 5 is that right? Is ins- insights a 5? Am I right about that? Yeah, they make a lot of observations and they tend to be very knowledgeable. Mm. Although given that you're saying they instead of we, I'm going to guess that you don't associate yourselves with them. So, oh, so I, I'm going to use my insight and say that you don't think you're a five. <laughs> you don't think you're a five. I'm going to say, hmm, hmm. Thinking back to college, Hannah, very involved mm-hmm. in student government. Um, mm. I'm thinking uh, very outgoing. You're part of an improv troupe, so performance is, is somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Off in the life of the party. I feel like oh, wow. uh, I feel like I'm thinking I'm thinking more of a three for you. Mm. Do you guys want to know what I identify as? So badly, there's nothing in the world I want to know more than that. Austin, do you second that? <laughs> I second it. I just want us all to get along. <laughs> well, I am a number two. Oh, hey, love that. no yeah i actually i thought i was a three for my first four years of studying the enneagram Mm. and then through a lot of self-discovery and frustration and tears i realigned to discover that i identify now as a social two with a three wing Mm. is it possible Mm -hmm. also that you could change is it possible to change one's type um, I'll say this: It's not possible to change your house in Harry Potter. So I, I don't know. I don't know how the malleability of Enneagram compares to the houses of Harry Potter. Okay, it's the exact same ideology, same <laughs> as Harry Potter. It's that I stringent. I I don't think that your core type can change, but your level of health can change so drastically that you can look very, very different. But your type is just your core motivation. The idea of Enneagram, though, is moving out of just over identifying as your type and seeing yourself in all types and how you can work well with all of them. So to that extent, it's like, well, hopefully you're moving into more awareness and that leads you to change, but your core type at the end of the day, I'm a two and I'm always going to really be wired to be thinking, does this person like me? What do they think of me? Am I being, am I being enough for them so that they don't want to leave me? Am I lovable? That's going to fuel a lot of my behaviors. Gotcha. But as I get healthy, hopefully those start to become less of, I need to help. And it changes to, well, I'm available to help. 
Would you like to hear some fictional twos? Some fictional twos, Samwise Gamgee? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Cleopatra from Antony and Cleopatra, apparently. Yeah, twos are very manipulative, and especially depending on your subtypes, they can be very sexually exploitative. Ooh, very Mm. Cleopatra. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Cleopatra would have been as sexually promiscuous if her name was Gertrude? (laughs) I think she would have been Pharaoh if her name was Gertrude. <laughs> in that time, like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would would Antony and Gladys have any effect on on history? Probably not. I don't think so. Um, yeah. Oh, it really, really changes the entire timbre. It does. All right. Well, that that's. I this was very fun, Hannah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank for having me on. Thank you for your insight. I know how deeply you want to please the people around you, as it too, and, and, <laughs> and I think that you have brought Austin and I a lot of joy. You have you've you've earned your spot on this podcast, so I hope that you feel fulfilled by that. Oh my gosh, you are just scratching all the itches on my back right now. <laughs> thank you so much. I anytime. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Austin. Thank you. We always like to thank Jude Schuma, who made our, our theme music. We thank Anna Swearinga, who made our our logo, our podcast logo. Anything else we want to, any other thank yous we want to throw out, Austin? Oof. You, our listeners. You, our listeners, of all types, from two through nine to one. Two through nine, back to one. Our Saurons, our Carries, our Shaggies, <laughs> our Shoes. Um... Our Charlies. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you to all of them. Goodbye. I already-